0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. This year, or this week, Time Magazine Uh, revealed its person of the year. But I don't want to talk about the 2020 person of the year. I want to talk about the 2006 Time Magazine person of the year. Because I think that you would be very interested in who the 2006 person of the year was. I think that you would be delighted to find that the 2006 person of the year from Time Magazine was... The, the magazine had a, a glossy, reflective cover and said that the person of the year in 2006 was you. And in many of our minds, this is not only true in 2006. This was true in 2007 and 8 and 16 and 17 and 20. We often like to think of ourselves as the person of the year. We're a lot like uh, the character Cuzco. You see, The Emperor's New Groove is undisputably and absolutely the greatest Disney animated film ever created. This is well known by film critics and historians. And in this film, it tells the story of the Emperor Kuzco who wants to build his summertime playhouse on top of a very specific hill. The unfortunate thing is that this hill is populated by a village that is led by Pacha. And so early in the movie, Pacha comes to the king. He gets an audience with King Cusco, And he says to the king, he says, I really think you could, I think you could decide to build your house somewhere else. To which Cusco replies, and why would I do that? And Pacha says, well, well, because deep down, I think you'll realize that, that you are forcing an entire village out of their homes just for you. And Emperor Cusco replies, And that's bad? That's bad? Mm, eh. It is comical in the sense that Cusco is sort of the over-exaggeration of the pride and selfishness that exists in all of us. That's not new either. This idea of the pride and selfishness that exists in all of us goes back to the very beginning of humankind. I mean, think about the serpent's temptation in the garden. What was the temptation that the serpent made in the garden? He told Eve and Adam, who was right there, he said, look, once you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. You will will know good and evil. You will have it all figured out. What Satan was tempting Eve and Adam with in that moment was not just disobedience. It was something more. It was self-advancement. If I eat of this fruit, ah, I will be more like God. Ah, I will know good from evil. I will be more of who I should be. It's interesting that this inability to kind of understand humility, this pride and selfishness was not just common in Adam and Eve, but common in the world that Paul wrote. This morning, we're going to read a a bit of Philippians. And as we do, we think about the fact that in Rome, humility was seen very much as a bad thing. The word humility was what was used by owners of slaves to describe the attitude that they had beaten into their slaves. The way that the slaves were forced into deference to others, that's humility. Now, it gets real strange when we read this text that Paul's going to say, that sort of attitude, that sort of attitude is not bad. In fact, that sort of attitude is a virtue. It is true even today that we are absolutely unable to even conceptualize humility. Our culture, the culture that all of us have grown up in, no matter what generation we are a part of, absolutely cannot teach us the concept of humility, of selflessness. Let's do a thought experiment. This worked last week. I think it'll work again this week. Think in your mind... Of a famous, humble person. Go ahead, I'll give you time. Somebody who's really famous, who's really humble. It's pretty hard to come up with that person, isn't it? Maybe we could get an idea, maybe something would come into our mind. But our culture cannot teach us to cultivate humility. It can teach us how to build our brand. It can teach us seven tips to be a better entrepreneur. It can give us advice on how to advance our career, on how to get more followers. It can teach us to win friends and influence people, but not to be humble. And this is just as true outside the church as it is inside the church. Think about the way that it has become almost a trope for, for famous pastors to have epic falls. Seems like not a few months can go by before that happens again and again. Think of the way that Christian influencers try to tell you all the right books to read, all the right resources to have. And if you listen to them, you'll be more like God. You'll know good from evil, right from wrong. Gee, that sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Sounds an awful lot like what the serpent was offering Eve, doesn't it? Humility is absolutely foreign to our imaginations. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that's what I want to challenge you with. If you're listening in with us, maybe maybe you're stuck at home with a family member who's watching, wherever you are, I want you to, to listen to one of the strangest parts of Christianity. And trust me, there's some strange ones, I know. But I want you to listen to the way that Christians are called to selflessness, radical selflessness. And yes, we have failed at this, but as we look at the call to it, we also see that it is rooted absolutely in the person and actions of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is beautiful and it is a beautiful invitation for us Christian and non-Christian alike to see a different sort of life. To see a different sort of life that is possible. And for you who are Christians, not just possible, but absolutely what God is calling us to. But it's hard because we are, we are absolutely plagued by these ideas of individualism, of pride, and of self-interest. Individualism, pride, and self-interest have wrapped themselves around our hearts in ways that we can only begin to imagine. And the only way of escape The only way of escaping this default mindset, the only way of escaping this sin that is so common to all of us is by soaking ourselves in the story of Jesus. And most especially the story of Jesus incarnation, of Jesus coming to us. So I'd invite you this morning to stand with me. I want to read to you eight verses out of Philippians 2. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. And let's hear the way that Paul frames our call to humility with the story of Jesus. So stand with me if you would. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Paul's not messing around. Paul's not pulling punches. Paul comes out, guns blazing, and he just starts blasting. Because he starts off with some pretty strong words, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from conceit. In every scenario, count others as more significant than yourself. Look out for the interest of others above your own interest. Look out for the good of others above your own good. Already our hearts are wrestling as we hear those words. As we hear those words so strongly stated by Paul, do nothing from selfish ambition. Always look out for the good of others above my own good. Yeah, but but Paul, but wait, I mean, that, mm, uh, eh. always, nothing, Paul, you're using pretty strong language there. I wish you weren't so absolute. This is is how deep selfishness has wrapped itself around our hearts. This is how deep our self-interest is is woven into our souls. Because rampant in our hearts is selfish ambition, conceit, self-focus, pride. We, we have it all over. Now, but what we also have is we also have enough sort of Christian moral fabric that has been passed down to us in society that if I said, is pride good? Everybody'd say, no, no, pride's bad. Being proud is bad. That's bad. Are, are, are selfish people good people? No, selfish people aren't good people. Selfish people are bad people. All crimes are crimes of selfishness. And we would very quickly and easily brush aside all selfishness and all pride as bad, except for when we don't. Think of it this way. We are are a culture that at times glorifies selfishness. We, We say with our words that selfishness is bad, and then we act with our minds and our hearts and our hands like selfishness is good. We as a culture are so obsessed with self-care that we use self-care as an excuse to ignore the needs of others. It was interesting, as I was preparing for this this week, I saw a tweet by by Michael Gunger. He wrote a really popular Christian song like 10 or 12 years ago um, and has since abandoned his faith. And he tweeted out this week this. It says, he said that there is no higher authority than your own heart there is no higher authority than your own heart what he said what he did there is he said the quiet thing out loud <laughs> he said the quiet thing that we all kind of believe he said it out loud because that's how most of us live there is no higher authority than my human heart as long as i can justify to myself what i'm doing it doesn't matter what it is because I'm the only one that matters. What happens is we not only have pride and selfishness in our hearts, but we, it's so deep that we have learned to cloak it in these words. We've learned to cover it over in words that make it acceptable. But at the end of the day, our pride, our solipsism, our individualism, whatever you want to call it, is exactly the sin that Paul goes after in this passage. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing from, in one of the old versions, vain glory, but put others' needs above your own. Paul is calling us out. If it wasn't clear before, let me give you a few ways that we do this. Some of us do this by By living and chasing the the dopamine that comes with likes and hearts and faves and the clout that we can get on social media. How many followers do I have? Is this person following me? Look who followed me today. That's pretty cool. Isn't that neat? Some of us do this by valuing our titles at work above work that is well done. Yes, but I get to be, if I do this, I'll be senior vice president instead of regular vice president. Or maybe I get to be executive vice president, or or maybe I'll go from manager to director. I don't know what direction those are. Like I'm, I'm so removed from that. But you know, like like that's a real thing. Like I, I know that I think director is underneath manager. I'm not totally sure, and I'm pretty sure vice president's above those, right? But but those things, right? Or maybe in your world, it's it's more words like like lieutenant and sergeant and however those work out. But how often do we chase those titles instead of? Ta- chasing faithfulness in our work. How often do we express our self-obsession by performing popular virtues, by being against all the right things, by being on the right side of history so that we are well accepted by the people we want to be well accepted by? We can even do nice things for others in this name and still be absolutely selfish. We can become consumers, even in our Christianity, even in the way that we think about what church we attend. Do we attend the church that is meeting our needs? Do we attend the church that is uh, neglecting to point out our own personal pet sins? Or do we evaluate a church based on its faithfulness to the Bible? It's selfishness. How How about ignoring the thoughts and feelings of others? They can't control me. And yet here Paul is saying to us, put the needs of others above your own needs. For some of us, this may look like constantly being right. Of never letting anyone else genuinely critique us. of never letting anyone else get inside of our shell. Or maybe, and this last one's a lot like me. Maybe we live our lives cowardly, not saying what we need to be said, no needs to be said, because we want to maintain status. We want to maintain relationship. We want to keep things going as they were. All of us, all of us can find ourselves in these or other ways. That selfishness, that self-reliance, that pride and ego have woven themselves into our heart. The way that our Self centeredness, our selfish ambition is absolutely taking the place of God in our hearts. We have made ourselves to be our God. But but what Christ is doing in this passage, and what Paul is inviting us to in this passage, is he's inviting us out of that. He's inviting us to a new mindset. He's inviting us out of the self focus into looking at others. If these things bother you, like they bother me, it's because we have not looked well on the self-sacrifice of Jesus, on what Jesus has done for us. See, the way of Jesus is not the way of advancement. The way of Jesus is not the way of progress. The way of Jesus is the way down. The way of becoming gentle and lowly. That's after all, exactly what Jesus did. And that is exactly what he calls us to do. And that's hard because when we think of, of growing in our career, when we think of advancing in where we are in life, the normal way of thinking this, the way that our world has discipled us is to think that as I grow, I have more freedom. When I get that better job, I'll have more more vacation days. When I get that promotion, I'll have more money and I'll have more ability to do the things that I want. In all the ways that we think about our growth, it always in this world leads to more freedoms. To grow in Christ means we become more and more restricted. To grow in Christ means that we grow in the ways that we serve others, not the ways that we are served. That's what Jesus said, right? The Son of Man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve others. Think about that. I mean, we, we've, if you've been around the church, you've heard that before, right? But think about how unbelievable that is, that the God of the universe left heaven, left all of the riches, all of the the pleasures of heaven and came to this earth to serve others. That, That is nearly unbelievable. It's nearly unbelievable. And yet that is the way that Jesus is teaching us. I mean, for those of you who are about to become elders and deacons, while you are being elevated in some ways to this position, what you're actually doing is being given a wider circle of people that you are called to love and serve. You have to serve more people now. Your Christian life is harder now. The way up is the way down. It expands on the people that we are called to put above ourselves. Let me tell you the way I struggle with this. So this week in the New York Times, um, there was an article about a New York City pastor who recently Um, had an affair. And in the sort of wash and effect of all the stuff that came out after this, this New York Times article wrote about sort of all of the lavishness that this pastor of this huge megachurch had. And it talked about sort of green rooms uh, before the service. Um, It talked about the fact that he would would disappear for weeks on end and nobody really cared, which I cannot imagine. (laughs) Just being like, hey, y'all, I'll see you later. You know what I mean? Like, fend for yourselves. You know, whoever's going to preach is going to preach. You know, you knock yourselves out. You know, it, it, this article revealed stuff about um, how they would, they would recruit church volunteers to drive the staff to and from holiday parties at Famous People's House. Can you imagine that showing up on Planning Center? Uh, we need someone to drive Justin from Kevin Durant's house to Justin Bieber's house this evening. Who's going to volunteer to sign up for that? It, it told the stories of the staff stylist this pastor had. Now, it's easy for me to look at that and go, Ew, yuck, bad, bad. That, that pastor is a bad pastor. I'm glad I'm not like that pastor. And it can be easy for me to become self-righteous because I don't have a green room. I have like a room with like a a used couch in it where I stash my backpack. Sometimes I'll put snacks in there. I don't have drivers. (laughs) I don't have a stylist, clearly. (laughs) But here's what I do have. I do have the same rottenness in my heart. Here's how I know it. I can remember back when we had coffee at church. Do you remember coffee at church? Do you remember those days? Pepperidge Farms remembers coffee at church back in the days. And I can remember on an August day, not being able to find parking anywhere near the theater, and me being the one who is changing out the keg of coffee, which, by the way, weighs about about 70 pounds, and when you take it out in August, it immediately is covered in condensation. So I have this slippery 70-pound metal cylinder. It's 100 degrees outside with 103% humidity, humidity, with a dew point of infinity, and walking this keg down 2nd Street and thinking to myself, I can't wait. One day, City Church is going to be big enough that I don't have to do this. That's, that's just opportunity. If I had the opportunities of the pastor who fell, there by the grace of God go I because that same selfishness is in my heart. Even in something stupid and silly like coffee, it is an opportunity that my selfishness comes out. That's hard. That's where all of us are at. All of us share each in our own way, this struggle. So what's the story that Paul tells us? Paul tells us, don't do anything from selfishness and pride. Don't do anything from vainglory and selfish ambition. Instead, put the needs of others above your own needs. Consider others as more significant than you consider yourselves. And then Paul says, because, because. And the way that you can do this and the way that we can have this is because this mind is already in us who are Christians. Because this was the story of Jesus. Think about the way down for Jesus because it's a long way down from heaven to the cross. It is the ultimate story of serving others. Jesus leaves heaven. That's, that's mind-blowing. Jesus, God eternal, leaves heaven... And is born in a stall, and then, then after he's born in a stall, Jesus lives thirty three years with all of the aches and pains and problems of human life. None of the great comforts we have, Jesus chose not to come in two thousand when we have temperpedic beds and ergonomic pillows. Jesus came in the era of wool blankets and hay in the desert. And he lives with all of our frailties, but without sin. And then Paul tells us, not only did Jesus do that, which if that was the Jesus story, if it was just a matter of Jesus giving us a good example of humility, that would be wild in and of itself. But he says, that's not how far Jesus went. He says, Jesus further humbled himself, further stepped himself down the line of being a servant by dying the eternal God subjected himself to death. And not just any death, not just any death, but suffocating in his own blood as he was nailed to a cross. A humiliating death. A death without any glory. And he did this even though he deserved none of it even though he deserved pleasures at the right hand of the father forevermore. See, Jesus reversed the language of deserve and made it simply the language of serve. Jesus was there on the cross. And not only did he subject himself to death, not only did he subject himself to an agonizing physical death, but in that moment, God turned his wrath on Jesus. It was poured out. Jesus drank the cup full of our guilt, our shame, our sin, our punishment. The command that Paul gives us that is so difficult for us, the command that Paul gives us, which is so counterintuitive to the way that we live is not just Paul telling us, do this, it's Paul telling us to have the same attitude in our hearts that Christ Jesus lived out day by day. That is the sort of mind. Notice the way that, that Paul puts it. He says, he says, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He is saying through the Holy Spirit, through what God has done, through union with Christ, we can have this sort of mind in us. It can grow. It can be cultivated. Humility can become real in our lives when our lives are shaped by and informed by and lived out in the rhythms of Jesus himself. Our call, church, is to serve others even when they don't deserve it. Our call, church, is to to abandon our self-advancement and pride to weed out individualism and selfishness and to follow Jesus on the way down, on the way down to selflessly serving others. Because, because when we do this, and this is the, this is the cool thing, when we do this, when we begin to live this out, when we, become, when we begin to become, when somebody says, have you ever thought of somebody humble? And when you become the po- person that populates their mind, something unique happens. Because when we live out the humility of Jesus that he is calling us to, it rips open the fabric of our world and shows everyone around us that there is another world to come. That all of the pride that all of the selfishness, that all of the virtue signaling, that all of the the ways that we live by clout, by all of the ways that we ignore the feelings of others, all of the ways that we do this, that this is not the only world. But there is a world, the true world, the real world where Jesus sits enthroned on high. One day we'll all see that world. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But right now, when we live in humility, we open the window to that world that is to come. When we live in humility, the future comes back into the present as other people get to see the story of Jesus. And so church, let us do that. Let us be humble people who give others a picture of who Jesus is. Let us follow him down into selflessness. Let's pray.